Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Violin Podcast, where we interview violinists from around the world. I'm your host, Eric Murgala, and I want to thank you for joining us on this week's episode. If you're not subscribed yet, if you're new to us, please make sure to hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification, so that way you can notify for when new amazing episodes come out. It really helps us out to create more content for you. We aim to make the Violin Podcast a trusted resource for violinists everywhere, and I'll encourage you to check out the episode show notes for extra links, violin tutorial playlists, so that way we can help you become a better violinist. And one way to become a better violinist is the ability to know how to practice. And that's something that I've experienced in my recent violin studios lately, is that parents are always looking for ways or creative outlets for their children to know how to practice. And I want to share with you that I have a new downloadable PDF that has great goals. And what this does is just it helps create more organization in the practice room. And this downloadable PDF sells for $3.99, and it gives you a full list on creative ways on how to practice and a small PDF on what you can do to really um, set specific goals to have results. And I'll go ahead and leave a link of that PDF in the podcast show notes. Now let's get to the content of this episode. My guest today is a violinist from the Netherlands and if you have been on YouTube and if you've been watching violin tutorial videos or other violin product reviews, you might know this person from what the YouTube channel is called The Violin Lounge. And I want to introduce you to Zlata the Violinist from The Violin Lounge. She is a violinist, content creator, and musical entrepreneur. And we have a very interesting conversation on how she started with the violin and how her path with the violin and her background in marketing has helped her engage in the online violin community and to create a business for herself and some of the things that she has learned as a musician along the way. So let me introduce you to Zlata. Zlata, it's so nice to meet you. And I admire all the work that you're doing in your whole violin career. And I would love to dive into some of the great things that you're doing. But before but before we do that, I want to get to know you. I want our audience to get to know a little bit more about you if they don't know who you are already. Can you dive in uh, with uh, your background? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I was really looking forward to, to this conversation and talking to you. Uh, always nice to uh, to speak to a fellow colleague uh, somewhere in the world. So uh, so that's it. Um, yeah, I uh, uh, I'm Slata. I'm living in Holland, and um, yeah, I've run a violin shop and a violin studio. And in the last years, I've been working fully online, and I've got a YouTube channel for nearly ten years now. Uh, yes, I'm that old, and. <laughs> um, I started online teaching because I like online learning myself. So when it comes to about everything, I look to online learning first. And I didn't really do that for the violin because, yeah, you have your teacher and you go to first private lessons and after the conservatory. But 
Um, I, I just wanted to create that uh, for violin too. And um, I also noticed that in violin lessons, and I'm sure all the teachers out there will recognize this, that you are telling the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and so there are general problems in uh, violin playing. And, you know, me as a student, I need to hear the same things over and over again. So I'm not saying that I'm the only one who understands and uh, can do everything after one time. But I just wanted to get that information out there and also to make it accessible for a variety of people uh, all over the world. And uh, I like making videos. And so what I do now is that I make online courses that I have my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, essentially that I make violin videos. Yes. And if you're not familiar with Zlata's YouTube channel, it's called The Violin Lounge. So how did you come up with the lame Violin Lounge? Um, yeah, uh, it was a long time ago, but it, it was the idea that uh, people could come there and take up information, but also as a place to connect and to relax and to make violin playing a little bit less. Yeah, uh, some people experience it as, as kind of inaccessible and yeah, um, kind of far away from their world or something. So that was also the idea to give it a kind of a relaxed vibe with the lounge name. It's almost as <laughs> if it's almost as if I'm like relaxing in the violin lounge with like a cocktail in my hand. And we're just all talking about violin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I mean you've been you've been in the YouTube space for around 10 years. I started the YouTube space just recently. I mean I had a YouTube account like many, many years ago. I think I uploaded like my recitals from conservatory. But then it wasn't really until recently where I started making violin tutorial videos just as you. Um, what are, um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from your audience? Like what kind of demographic has uh, watched your videos? Is it more like on the adult learners? Has it been kind of like all over the place? Can you little, can you tap in on that? Uh, yeah, a lot of adult learners, of course, because uh, self-learners go to YouTube, of course, first. Um, but also, for example, people who get stuck um, in a certain point in their lesson. And maybe you have uh, had the experience of having different teachers that uh, a teacher tells you something and another teacher tells you the same thing, but slightly different. And then suddenly it clicks. Um, and I saw that that also happens with uh, YouTube videos, that it's a slightly different way of digesting information. And certainly the new generation are so used to taking up things um, from screens, whatever your thoughts on screen time is. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, the fact is that, that young people just take information from screens. I mean, if I want information myself, I go to Google. I don't go to the lo local library or anything. Um, so I, I see that things click that sometimes don't click in private lessons simply because different people say it in different ways so to say um but yeah it's a lot of adult learning of course uh but uh, for example i also have uh three little sisters of i believe six eight and ten years old or something who are following along my videos that's incredible i feel like the internet has really allowed for that to happen i remember when youtube was like out in the open and people just kind of like watched like the occasional cat video but now it's like, yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, uh, it's, it's an actual learning space. Um, I didn't, I had like a family member over not too long ago. We had to kind of figure out something to fix. And it's like, how do I blank? 
how to do blank. And I feel like that is so valuable now, especially in the in the music world, in the violin world, that not a lot of musicians are really tapping into. But you've been doing it for such a long time, and everyone, you know, everyone knows Violin Lounge uh, for so for so many years. Like your Facebook groups, you know, you're very um, active in the community online. So I think you know because of that, you are so successful. But I want to get into how you actually got into teaching and. Um, inspired you and was there like a moment in your life where you're like this is what I want to be doing uh it was fairly early because I actually never was interested in performing <laughs> um oh really I... okay usually it's the opposite actually <laughs> yeah. people are like okay I'm not interested in teaching but I want to perform and then they end up teaching so that's interesting that you you have the opposite yeah so my father was an uh, arts teacher so I was kind of connected to people teaching things um and when I was in my first violin lesson uh, I said at the end of the lesson, I want to be a violin teacher. And, you know, I was at the time a very shy kind of girl and I got bullied a lot. So like on a stage, like, no, <laughs> like the classroom was already too much. Um, uh, so so it never crossed my mind that it was actually quite not really normal uh, until I was in the conservatory. And uh, we went to the violin methodology, which was for me like, OK, this is what I'm here for. And all the students were like, oh, no, we have to teach toddlers, really? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, 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 that was, uh, yeah, so I got fairly early into the teaching uh, thing, actually. So while you were in conservatory, when you were in college, did you start teaching then or was it until yeah. you finished afterwards? Okay. Yeah during conservatory yeah and you mentioned you you know you teach online i mean obviously you're doing the youtube channels you're doing the the videos do you have any in-person students um i have in-person students uh through video exchange um uh, because i have yeah the majority of my students because i uh, publish my videos in english uh, are in english speaking areas in america or canada or australia and uh, you really have an issue with uh, time zones um, and, uh, so, so what works a lot, uh, very well for me is, uh, is video exchange. So, uh, people follow a course, so it's a set curriculum, uh, they buy a course with me and, uh, they follow the lessons and then they can send in a video for feedback and then I send the video back, uh, yeah, just as in a normal lesson, but there's a time delay. And, uh, I find that it's actually the time delay is very helpful because you get to analyze your students. You can go back and you can say, oh, did I see that correctly? And then also you can prepare very much what you're going to say to the student. And again, the student can play it over and over again. That's a very fascinating idea, actually. I don't think I've heard anyone doing something like that where they sent you a video and then you have maybe 24 hours to write down your notes and to send it back. Um, mm -hmm. What has the progress been like for someone who is using a video exchange lesson such as yourself? Do you find like, um, the same progress as if you're doing like a Zoom lesson or the same progress as um, if you were to do like an in-person lesson? Or do you find that like a completely not the case and you find like exponential growth? Mm, well, it's not uh, it's not magic or anything. Um, so I think it's comparable to private lessons. Um, the only thing is you need to have the discipline to really, you know, if you have private lessons, the advantage is that you have this set appointment every single week. And uh, if you didn't practice that week, then you feel ashamed. And sometimes I see with my students, some don't send videos in for feedback while they have the opportunity. Others send in a lot. Um, 
others might be learning very independently and might be going very well while not sending in that many videos. Uh, so if you use it on a regular basis, um, it works just as much as private lessons. Uh, actually, I'm having uh, video exchange lessons myself uh, because I have a teacher who is in Berlin and we're doing the same thing. So I'm a, a video exchange student as well in that sense. <laughs> That's so fascinating. This is actually the first time I've heard of something like this where you where you send videos and they send video back. I guess in in some way, like, I can I can see that working really nicely because you you're at your own time you can record at your own time and then you can give honest feedback at your own time. I could yeah. see that working both ways especially for the teacher where you can be really detailed oriented. I know that for myself and I'm sure that many violin teachers on um, who are listening on the violin podcast today often find that to be a struggle. There's only like a, a finite amount of time and we can only fit in so much, right? And sometimes we and sometimes we do forget like uh, like what to what to write down for their homework assignment or something. I know that that has been the case for me. Yeah, this is this is such a, f a fascinating conversation. And if you're and if you're new to the Violin Podcast, I recommend that you subscribe for more content because that helps me get to talk to wonderful people like Zlata. Um, so I want to kind of dive into uh, the music business portion of your mm -hmm. career because for me, I like to talk about music business because you know it's. The, being a musician is not so much about the music, but we also need to eat, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm always curious to know what different ideas musicians around the world are doing to integrate to um, to help their music careers advance. As you said, you know, uh, you also have a violin shop as well. I was wondering if you can kind of uh, expand on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I've always been kind of in two tracks uh, of business and uh, and music in that sense. Uh, I majored also in, in business. Um, and uh, uh, so I did two, yeah, how do you call it? Educational systems are different everywhere, but <laughs> I essentially did two studies. Um, and uh, I uh, won the Entrepreneur of the Year Award with my uh, violin shop and studio. And so for me, marketing and business is like, um, like it isn't for a lot of musicians. It is like, ugh. for me, it was like, okay, some other field I'm also interested in. And uh, certainly now it gives me the opportunity to stay home as a mother because uh, I had my violin shop for over 10 years and I decided to close it because there came a point that I really had to choose between going full-time with all the online stuff um, or uh, because I was doing gigs, I was doing an orchestra jobs. Uh, I taught myself. I had a studio with uh, uh, four teachers, including me, and I had a violin shop. So, yeah, th th there was a point where uh, I just grabbed a big axe and went uh, through my calendar. Um, but I think it's uh, because here in Holland, sometimes you see uh, there, there was a time where a lot of orchestras went down and uh, fired a lot of people. So I think about 40 years ago in Holland, it was quite normal to go to the conservatory. And after that, you got an orchestra job and you just stay there until you retired. Um, and those times are, whatever you may think of it, are gone. And um, I know excellent violinists who are better than me, who are bus drivers. And then I think, um, yeah, maybe you think marketing or business is yucky. But on the other hand, because you're, if you just see marketing as kind of a bridge between your talents and what you have to give the world and your audience, if you do it in a good way, 
um, like, you know, you can use a knife to uh, kill someone, but you can also use a knife to uh, cook a delicious meal for your family. But you're spot on. I feel like the something that I've argued on the Violin Podcast in previous episodes is that we're no different in the entrepreneurial space than, for example, Mozart was or Haydn was. You know, Mozart created his own concert series and he also composes old music and he was managing those concerts and he was trying to get the tickets for them. He was doing, he was a one man show. And we often forget that now these organizations have a specific dedicated person for each role, but it wasn't like that um, for, for a very long time. And I feel like the moment musicians understand how to do a little bit of everything good enough. And, you know, you just, that's the entrepreneurial spirit, in my opinion, where you start and you kind of get messy. But then once you start going, you start getting better slowly as time progresses. So I think you're absolutely spot on when it comes to that. And yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of the digital space. I'm starting to notice in my own life that having that flexibility uh, versus in, um, in-person business and interactions versus mm-hmm. online business, it just allows you yeah. so much flexibility in yeah. the way you... Um, in the way you uh, work as a musician nowadays. I mean, you could also do just 50-50. You can do 50% of in-person and 50% online. And that's kind of the role that I've actually chosen for myself. And I encourage people who are um, afraid to go one way, like 100% or the other way, it's to try a little, try to get your feet wet, see if you can do both at the same time to see if that works. Because I, for me, uh, love performing still. I love to perform. I also love to teach in person. Because it, it helps me get content for the YouTube channel, for one. And two, it also helps me become more efficient with how I explain things in person. Sometimes YouTube video, we're trying to meet like a certain time limit with a video, like eight minutes, 10 minutes. Um, but for one thing, you actually created a video with multiple, I think, was it like over 100 bow strokes? And I would love yeah. to dive in on that. What what caused this crazy idea? And I'm going to leave a link to that video down in the, in the podcast show notes because it's just a fun idea. You just you just went yeah. crazy on it. So dive in on yeah. that for us. Yeah. yeah. So I made a video some years ago about 24 different violin bowing techniques. And actually, it was quite popular. So uh, earlier this year, I made a video with 102 violin bowing techniques. Actually, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. I didn't realize there were 102. I just like knew like the basic, you know, like the Coles OTA that, you know, all those like basic ones that we learned, like when we were kids, but you have 102. We're not going to list them all right now, but (laughs) what were some, what were some of the shocking ones that you discovered in your research? Uh, what are one of the shocking ones? Um, I think it's uh, uh, things like dragging the bow, which uh, makes you unscrew the bow and then flip the hair around the violin so you can play quadruple stops. That might be a, a, a weird one. I have seen that. Yeah. I don't recommend it if you don't know what you're doing, folks. Yeah, that's that's true. And certainly if you have a precious bow and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so yeah, um, maybe, maybe try on like a cheap bow first to see. But there are videos online actually that um, kind of as an experiment, you know, they do like, uh, I think it was like a box of cone. Someone played yep. box of cone with the... Yep with um with this kind of bowing just to see how um how the violin sound with all four strings at once exactly yeah intonation hell of course (laughs) intonation (laughs) yeah intonation hell but have you and in this video you've tried all of these you know you like yeah demonstrated every single one to see what it sounds like and what it looks like 
How long did it take you to make that video? Months, months. So Goodness. it was really a big nerd project because the video ended up being over 40 minutes. And uh, so for each Boeing technique, I have an explanation, uh, an example video from an actual performance uh, and the sheet music notation. So <laughs> this was a lot of work, but um, yeah, I've been uh, online kind of specializing in Boeing technique because I noticed that a lot of teachers and yeah, I noticed that in my own lessons, I've taught privately for, for over, over 10 years, like normal in-person lessons. Um, and I always noticed that, that you, because you are so focused on, uh, you know, cramming so many things in that half hour lesson that you have with the student each week, um, that often you can't work for a long time on tone and uh, the different aspects of tone and like bow weight or bow speed, because you want to, you know, finish the song for the student concert or whatever. And then it's more important that they play the right notes, that they play the right rhythm and that they're, they're somewhat in tune. And um, so that's when I started to make more content on Boeing technique. And um, uh, those are my most popular videos, I think, about Boeing technique, tone production and various levels, like from how to bow straight to uh, 102 violin Boeing techniques for those who want to geek out. Um, and uh, in the project, I just wanted to, because of course we have on the violin a million nuances. So you can, uh, if you dive into literature, you can of course find, yeah, I just went through all the literature and every single Boeing technique that I could find there uh, came in the 102 Boeing techniques. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's an exciting exploration of what's possible on, on the violin, because I think that's one of the most interesting uh, things about the violin is uh, that you can make so many different uh, sound colors versus, uh, and probably my pianist is going to shoot me, on the uh, piano you do have, yeah, less than 102 different <laughs> sounds. <laughs> yeah, I no, I think that's it's just a very clever idea. When I saw that, I think you posted in the, the Violin Guild Facebook group, I'm like, oh my gosh, 102, that was... Man, this this and I and I saw the video and I and I saw how long it was it? Like, wow, that was yeah. that's quite something. But no, I'm so glad that um, I'm talking to a fellow violin nerd because I love talking to violin nerds, and um, that leads me to some of the common problems that you see amongst violin students, like in your video exchange. Um, what are some of the common violin issues that you see i mean you already stated some of them you stated like sound production is a very popular topic on youtube bow strokes bow holes you know i know that bow holes are yeah. very popular on my violin uh youtube channel mm -hmm. but what are some of the things that you notice that violinists struggle with that can be um that you can you can offer some advice for them today Mm, yeah, what I mainly notice is that uh, people think often that uh, making a beautiful sound. So when I was in my first violin lesson, it was like magic to me how the lady, so the teacher made the violin sound. So that, that drew me in the violin lesson. So for most of us, it's that we rather find it important how someone plays than what someone plays. We rather hear a very simple, amazing grace with like a beautiful tone and beautiful vibrato and beautiful phrasing, then that we hear uh, a very sloppy Tchaikovsky concerto um, or a very sloppy Paganini or uh, whatever. And um, 
what people often think is that uh, bowing technique, vibrato and tone kind of come on their own as soon as you play more advanced repertoire. Um, well, uh, uh, what I would recommend is to, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to really spend like dedicated, consistent practice on things like vibrato, on uh, bowing technique, to do some sort of bowing warm-up, even if it's uh, playing a very simple scale with whole bow strokes and then uh, creating, for example, a nice exercise is maximum resonance. So you uh, bow on one note all the time and uh, you keep bowing on that one note because we tend to play scales and we want to go on uh, with maximum resonance. So try to get see, uh, experiment with bow speed, with weight, contact point, all these things, all the combinations to try to get the largest, the most beautiful sound out of your violin. Uh, that might be a nice warm-up, for example. Very basic. <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's a great, great tip. Um, I love how you say bow weight instead of bow pressure. I feel like many violinists kind of, or many beginner violins often get the two confused. Can you explain a little bit what that means? What like the bow weight and how you describe bow weight on the violin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, in essential, in physics, of course, weight and pressure are the same. So there is a certain pressure from the bow hair uh, into the string. But what I think makes the difference between weight and pressure is the way we move our arm. So if you think in terms of weight, you kind of relax your shoulder and you let everything hang and you let a natural weight of your arm into the bow, uh, which creates a resonant sound. Well, if you think in terms of pressure, then you go with your elbow automatically higher and you push the um, bow into the string. And uh, uh, a lot of people don't realize that pushing the bow into the string has uh, an effect that indeed more pressure is more sound, but also more pressure is also muting. So at, it's like on a car, you are uh, hitting the gas and the brake at, I have to search for the English words because before I say something weird, before you hit the gas and the brake at the same time or something. And that causes that choked sound, and that's the sound of uh, pressure. So if you have the sound of weight, then you ha have it from a relaxed arm, and then you can hear that the violin starts to resonate freely, actually. Yeah, one thing I like to mention to my students with the, with the weight versus pressure conversation, that you want to, you want to let the violin breathe. You know? Yeah, like the, exactly. moment, the moment you let the violin breathe, everything becomes a little bit better and that's something that actually i explained to one of my students yesterday that you know um we also talk about pronation you know pronation is like the ability to you know spend a little bit more um the angle of your wrist goes towards your index finger a little bit and i think oftentimes not that it's a it's a wrong technique that you find that a lot in um you know in russian bow hold and you get a lot of power through there but something that i've taught for many years at the franco-belgian bow hold mm -hmm. right that allows a little bit of that flexibility yeah and um, I'm sure you have a video on your YouTube channel on, you know, different bow holds. And I think, um, and, and I've definitely talked about this too. The, um, I think oftentimes if, if anyone wants to come out of this podcast with like a violin tip from the both of us is that you want to make sure that all the violin fingers are nice and loose, nice and nice and relaxed. So that way there, there is that flexibility. Oftentimes we find tension in our thumb. 
when we when we play we press in our thumb and that kind of results to pressing with our index finger and then all you know the entire hand gets really really stiff so something that i like to and maybe you can comment on this something that i explained to like my little five-year-old violin students by the way they give me so much joy they're like like the first time they walk into their violin lesson is like whoa the sound whoa it's like that's like that's possible and i always talk about like having of like a little like a like fleshy skin you know like okay go, go ahead and like touch my palm see how really relaxed it is let's feel the difference and then you know having something like physical in front of them is um just like really really helpful for them to understand um for for violin lessons but i want to also dive into um you know your violin education past and i want to ask you what has been like really helpful advice um whether it's violin career whether it's violin just your violin education what what kind of um advice have you been given that has really helped you in your violin playing career um from your from your teachers or from a colleague etc um woo <laughs> to think on that one <laughs> um well, I like a tip that I got from one of my last uh, teachers, Johan Berkheimer, who was really about uh, he was really about the old style of violin playing. He did a lot of research uh, to the romantic style of, of playing, like the 19th century Beethoven type of, of playing and phrasing. Um, a bit, I don't know if you know the uh, conductor Mengelberg from the Concertgebouw Orchestra. Um, and uh, so he was into that uh, style, so kind of opposite the uh, historically informed uh, uh, performance style, so to say. So he always talked about giving a lot of freedom in your playing, a lot of expression. Don't uh, be afraid to use weird fingerings, to uh, um, yeah, to, to do vibrato where, where it's not necessary. And uh, he had a very great tip on violin tone and that was about shooting your ball so uh, a lot of violins are using a lot of bow because it's it's kind of told to you from the very beginning when you play like this that, that you have to do a little bit more of this and then it of kind course. of sticks in your head and then you play with those large movements and very little um very little uh, weight or pressure um and uh, what was very helpful to me is to create a sound with core that you have little bow speed and that you have really this focused sound with, with a lot of core with, and um, a more solistic sound, so to say. So you make a larger sound by uh, so, sort of saving your bow and using a little bit more weight. Danger of that is, of course, if you use more weight and uh, lower speed, then you get a scratch easily. But sometimes the sound that you get when you are right before that scratching idea um, is uh, it can be very beautiful. So that might be something. And I love that advice. I love that, um, you know, with the slowing of the bow, but applying the necessary weight accordance to what kind of string you're playing on, right? So like when you're playing on the E string, you're not going to use the same weight as you would on the G string because the E string is a thinner string. And then, you know, something that you use on the G string with the weight, you know, you, you, you apply more arm weight or shoulder weight. It's going to sound really crunchy on the E string. So you want to make sure that you have a balanced, um, um, balanced idea of how that's supposed to sound like on your instrument. But I, I'd want to touch a little bit on what you said about sound. You mentioned core. Um, you know, I, I have a way of explaining core sound to my students, but how do you explain core to 
um, to your students? Because I find that it's like a very, uh, it's a subjective idea of what yes. core sound means. So I want to get your take on that. Yeah, I think core is definitely subjective as maybe anything in, in, in sound. Um, and also that it might sound differently for different players and uh, different instruments. And also that uh, different instruments respond differently. So everything I said about using a lot of weight and little bow speed, maybe with your bow, if you're trying this, it sounds awful. So it's all about balancing. And I think core is maybe what we quickly touched on in the beginning is um, that exercise with maximum resonance. I think core might be a lot of resonance, so to say, and a lot of speaking power in, in your tone, but still it's subjective. So, and it's a matter of taste because some people really like, uh, for example, in a Sul uh, G um, passage, they like a very vague sound with a low contact point and other people really like uh, more bright sound with uh, with a higher, so more, yeah, that you put bow closer to the bridge uh, sound. So, yeah, I, th I think it's still subjective not what your taste is. Uh, but if you want to know the difference, uh, try playing with uh, no weight at all uh, and a very high bow speed and you get that vague sound. And then, you know, that is not playing with core. <laughs> so, uh yeah, it's sometimes also helpful to know what something's not <laughs> than, um, yeah, trying to grasp what something is. The way I explain core to my students, and maybe maybe we uh, you can agree or disagree on this, but I kind of like you know back in the day you you have we had like when we were driving in our cars, you're able to like adjust the bass, the mid, the treble sometimes like in the car, or when you have like a sound system in your home, you can adjust, you can. Um, uh, customize the sound to your liking. You can add a little bit more bass, a little bit more mid treble. That's something that I try to explain to my students, like in the, like visually, like how does core sound visually look like? And I like to think of like the core, um, like um, having like a lot of mid and a lot of like a lot of mid and some bass. That's for me like the quality of sound, like where you have that that full resonance of your violin, kind of you know, vibrating around your body because that's, that's when you truly know you're getting like a very healthy sound. And I always encourage a healthy sound. I'm sure you do too, with your violin students that the, the holistic approach, we never want to, you know, fight against our violin because the violin will fight us back, <laughs> you know, and that, that's how I think of core and anyone who's trying to figure out what core is, I can dive deeper in a future violin podcast episode or a violin YouTube uh, tutorial but um, this, yeah, I, I love talking about these things because we're, we're actually diving in into the specifics. Sometimes we don't have time to talk about these specifics. So thank you for, for, for doing all of this. Um, you know, we're, we're running, you know, we're running out of time for the episode. So I want us to, I want to ask this question. Hold on. Let me redo that. That was terrible. I fumbled over my words. <laughs> so we're running out of time. And I want to ask this one question. What is one tangible thing um, in a person's violin development and or violin career that they can apply today to kind of help them move forward? Because a lot of us sometimes uh, we're, we feel very vulnerable that, oh, we're not good enough. I don't sound good in the practice room. Um, I'm not sure if I can make a career out of this thing we call a violin, like um, can you can you share some advice for the some uh, for the person who is listening today? 
Yeah, I think what helps a lot for me is to shift from uh, if if you think about I'm afraid, I'm not good enough, I'm not talented enough, uh, other people are better than me. Actually, you're just focusing on me, 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 and me, and um, uh, that gets you very vulnerable because, uh, as 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 we all know, you know, if you mess up a concert, um, you know, for example, my husband is in IT. And if he makes a mistake or there is a bug, he says, okay, then we're going to solve it, right? He never attaches his uh, entire identity to that there is a bug in the system that he built. But we as musicians tie our identity and our ego and our me all to what we do on stage. While that's just one aspect of who who we are as a human being. So... Um, and I got, I have had a uh, terrible stage fright. Um, and because I wasn't even interested in performing <laughs> and, uh, but I had to do it because uh, you don't have a violin education and violin performance path in uh, the Netherlands. If you study violin, you just study violin and it's mainly at performance with as a bonus that you also can teach. Um, but, uh, so I needed to perform a lot. And what I did is that, uh, Uh, With a pianist, we just went to perform in houses of the elderly for free Um, and uh, as a sort of shock therapy, so to say. And um, uh, what you then see is how grateful people are that uh, they might not have a lot of people visiting them. Uh, They might be alone in the room for a lot of time. And that because you are there making music playing that Mozart sonata, perhaps not perfectly. uh, then, um, yeah, they get kind of a break after the day and, and you really make an impact. And I think that's also if you teach or if you perform or whatever you do in music, think about how you are serving other people. And then it doesn't matter if you are the most talented violinist in the world. If you uh, are teaching a class of five-year-olds and you're a great teacher and you're inspiring them to either have a professional career or... Uh, uh, listen to classical music for the rest of their lives or uh, and maybe not even play the violin anymore or uh, uh, do something entirely different as a profession, but uh, always have the violin to come back to, to because you were an inspiring teacher when they were five-year-old. And then what does it matter how good your Paganini is? Um, you know, so then uh, then you shift it away from yourself and then it's not part of your identity. Then it's Okay, because I have these doubts too. Like, who am I to post a thousand videos on on the internet? There are so many people. Let Maxim Tengerov do it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let Hilary Hahn do it. (laughs) And um, but but I notice every day that people are finding my videos useful, and for me, that's it. And um, then I yeah, every time I think like, okay, uh, I didn't do this, and. Certainly because I'm on the camera uh, every week, multiple times a week. Uh, you can imagine that not every shot is as good as the other. <laughs> so, yeah, when I'm editing, you also <laughs> are sitting sometimes like, oh, dear, should you be teaching anyways, Lata? Um, so, uh, but then By the I, way, I'm I feel like that every single day, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what am I doing today, <laughs> you know? Sometimes I feel that way. But no, I, 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 I'm, I resonate with what you say because what you said that's so important is you're serving others in music. You're not serving yourself. I mean, there is this, you know, you make the decision to 
choose to play the violin, but in terms of actually interacting with the world, you're actually serving others with your music. So I think that is brilliantly said. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Slata for coming on the Violin Podcast. And I'm going to leave all of her social media links, her YouTube channel down in the podcast show notes for you to take a look at. Is there any other way that people can get a hold of you, Zlata? Um, yeah, my website, violinlounge.com, is where everything is uh, gathered. And uh, yeah, at Violin Lounge on Instagram. Uh, where I post uh, like also funny reels and more personal stuff and uh, yeah and my YouTube channel of course if you search for Violin Lounge on YouTube you'll probably get there so fantastic Zlata thanks so much for coming on thanks so much for having me I really enjoyed the conversation thanks